Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. everyone and welcome to the Celtic Down Under Tuesday Crew off-season podcast special. Um, I'm your host for tonight, Stephen McCutcheon, uh, and I'm very delighted to be joined tonight by Willie and Steve. So I'll go to you first, Willie. How are you? And how are you, how are you coping with the off-season? I'm doing okay. I'm getting a bit bored without football, to be honest with you. I was up at a um, football fans game. Took my daughters up to their first football match, so we watched the New Zealand women's team playing Napier, two 0 win over Vietnam, and we got a chance to see Celtic's live chance play. So it's quite an enjoyable night for all. All right, sounds like fun. Um, Steve, how are you? How are you passing the the long off season days? Yeah, pretty similar, really. I found myself watching the FFA Cup last night, and I'm missing out on it tonight as we record this, but. Um, yeah, it's been a long off season already, and we'll get a few more weeks to go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's coming, it's coming over the horizon, but um, you know, it'll be here before we know it. Um, anyway, tonight the subject matter of tonight's show is um talking a little bit about um where Celtic had benchmarked against clubs that we consider to be our European peers, um, looking at who these clubs are, uh, how we compare to them. Uh, and what we need to do better, uh, in, in essence, and we're going to do a bit of a deep dive into it, um, and, and, and hopefully we can, as well as spreading a little bit of uh, information around, uh, we can also maybe reach some conclusions as to what we what we think uh, we can do better. Uh, we're not live tonight, we're recording this podcast, so if you want to join the conversation and let us know what you think, uh, please reach out to us on all our social channels. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. 
with all the handles being at the top of the screen here and in the episode notes. So please let us know what you think uh, and all feedback is welcome. Um, so we'll dive right in here um, to the first slide we have to show. Um, and that's really pertaining to why does all this matter? Uh, and I'll pass over to you, Steve, as to why this stuff matters. Yeah, so look, just by way of context, I mean, we, we've spoken on and off um, through the course of the season uh, about being a bit frustrated at the fact that, you know, the old board, the old attitude used to be as long as we were a tiny bit better than uh, Rangers, you know, then that was enough. And I think the three of us kind of violently agreed that actually that's not enough. You know, we need to be looking upwards rather than looking downwards, you know. So uh, we were kicking it around off, off air and we were talking about it and we were saying, look, what we need to be doing is looking at European peers and thinking, you know, how do we compare to them? What are they doing smarter than us or what are we doing better than them? Or, you know, how can we stretch, you know, and become more like some of our European peers? Um, and, you know... <laughs> There's been a bit of discussion uh, in the Celtic universe around about that over the last few weeks, you know, as to who are our European peers, and we'll, we'll look at that in a second. Um, but I think we all three of us kind of agreed that actually, you know, that's what we should be aiming for. And I know what happens then is people say, oh, but we need to prioritise the domestic competitions. You know, we need to be successful domestically before we um, focus on Europe. And, you know, there's this school of thought or argument that says it's either or but I think the three of us agree actually you know why can't we have both you know if we're building a side and a club that's going to be successful in Europe then you know without being um, you know uh, you know too comfortable about it you know domestic success should follow you know the two things aren't, aren't you know opposing forces you know if we're successful in Europe you know then it should follow that we should be able to be successful domestically as well so that's where it kind of came from um, and we thought well actually rather than just pulling uh, clubs out the air and thinking about you know um, European peers and, and whatnot we thought we would take a bit more of a data-based approach to it so we're going to look at a number of different metrics um, including some that are probably a little bit uh, a little bit stretchy but we'll see um, to compare ourselves to these European peers and think about how, you know, what they're doing that's smart or what we are doing, you know, that's smart, you know, and take it from there. So that's that's the kind of context. That's where this came from originally. So, yeah, I think um, obviously we're all in agreement about uh, European success being important. And I think it's so critical to the, to the financial performance of the club as well. I mean, it literally is the difference between a good financial season and a bad financial season is a good run in Europe. Um, and that can mean the difference between having to sell a player or having capacity to buy a player. It is really that simple. Um, so what's your take on that, Willie? Do you, do you agree that uh, European success is something really critical for the club? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the Champions League is where Celtic need to be every season. We look at, as we go through this and go through our peer groups, we need to see that all these teams base themselves on their financial success being in the Champions League. Most of them do. So we can't be any different from that. I know in past we've gone and based our finances and our spending on being a Europa League team. But um, 
I think now we need to look at being consistently in the Champions League every season from here on forth because that's the, that is the only way forward for us. Like, yeah, so that brings us on to our next point, and that is what is what does success in Europe look like for Celtic? Because we hear a lot of talk, and it's become the a bit of a buzzword on, on on the Celtic social, especially over the last few weeks since Brendan arrived back. Um, and what is this next level in Europe that everybody talks about? You know, every time we're linked with a player, we're asking, is he the player to get us to the next level in Europe? So, what what do we think, guys? That uh, what does success look like to Celtic? Well, obviously, I think we can all agree we're not going to win the Champions League. Um, but what, what is success, Steve? What do you mean we're not going to win the Champions League? <laughs> um, look, I think it's success in stages, right? So, you know, to my mind, you know, we need to set milestones, right? And maybe the first milestone is in Europe in some form after Christmas and I know the European format's changing and we might do a, a feature on that, you know, outside this this episode. You know, we might look at that, you know, in terms of what I think it's 2024-25 season looks like for Europe and we lose that drop down from Champions League to Europa League and, you know, all the rest of it. Um, but I think for me, actually, being in the comp- some form of competition post-Christmas, you know, is, is some form of success because that implies we're finishing second or third or top of the group, you know. Um, and that, to me, needs to be the first milestone or the first objective. Um, and then I think you take it from there, you know. Um, the reality is, and we'll look at why in a moment, you know, the the cars are really stacked against us, you know, going into European competition. We're a pot four side, and we're a pot four side for a reason. We'll look at that. Um, but that makes our job so much harder. You know, so if we can build year on year, get to the point where we're qualifying as a pot three side, you know, it makes the draw, you know, more practical. And then I think you set the second objective from there. So first objective, um, European competition post Christmas. Uh, and then we set the second objective, you know, after that would be my suggestion. Yeah, I think, you know, being a pot four side, um, anything any any teams we beat in the Champions League are as European success as such because if we can finish third in a group, then clearly we're we're playing above our seeding our seeding platform. So that is success, and you know if we can finish second, all all the better. Are you agreement with that, Willie? Yeah, I mean European football for Christmas is 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 the the key factor this season, and then next season we look at where the, how this um, Champions League league format is going to play out. Hopefully, it'll be sort of to get into the playoff positions and that. But first and foremost is this season coming up. And yeah, third in the group should be our target. And it's not beyond us. I mean, seven points would probably see you comfortably in third position. So that should be your target. Two home wins and maybe in a way draw somewhere along the line mm. if we're lucky. And that should get us through. So it's not without it's not out with her grasp, that sort of results. If we can get that home form going again in the Champions League, then yeah, we can certainly get there. Like so, here's hoping. Yeah. Okay. So, so now that we've got an idea of, um, of what success looks like, uh, we'll move on um, and have a look at who are we actually up against in in in, in the way of making ourselves better. And I'll bring up the the first slide we're going to show here, and I might ask you, Steve, to talk us through this. 
um, for the benefit yeah. of those on audio, um, just to tell us what this slide's showing, what, what we're looking at. So for those watching in black and white, the red ball is just behind the brown ball or whatever it was. <laughs> um, so look, what we've tried to do here is identify 19 European peers, right? So we started this exercise, we looked at obviously, you know, the European coefficient and, you know, who were the top sides and all the rest of it. And I think we all quite quickly came to the collective view that it doesn't really make that much sense to really benchmark ourselves against a Man City or EPL sides or even, you know, La Liga sides. You know, the reality is those big five leagues, their broadcasting deals or their commercial deals really mean it's a bit senseless for us to be comparing ourselves to them. So we decided to rule out, rightly or wrongly, we decided to rule out the big five leagues for the moment. So we then looked at the next tier down. So that's the leagues six, seven, and eight. And you've got the kind of Dutch and the Portuguese sides in there. And you'll see a lot of those. So um, from the Netherlands, we've got Ajax, Feyenoord, PSV, and uh, AZ. Uh, and from Portugal, Benfica, Porto, uh, Sporting Lisbon, and Braga. Um, and then we basically looked at the coefficient league and pulled in a number of other clubs that, you know, just intuitively we would think would be a sensible kind of uh, comparison point for ourselves. So, you know, the Copenhagen's of the world or Galatasaray, you know, etc. So, look, I think it'd be fair to say, you know, are they the right 19 clubs to compare ourselves to? I don't know. You could really probably make an argument for any, you know, subset of clubs around Europe but they're a reasonable set for us to look towards. Um, and I think they also, and we'll see this as we go through, you know, they also probably operate in slightly different ways, you know, across some of the, um, across some of those clubs. So we'll probably see, you know, how other clubs are successful, you know, and how they operate. And um, we did include, <laughs> after a bit of debate, we did include um, Rangers, uh, you know, having started by saying, uh, you know, I get a bit, cheesed off when all we do is benchmark ourselves against Rangers. I don't think we can ignore them either. Um, you know, so I think it's worthwhile including them, uh, you know, for comparison reasons. So what you can see here are those 19 clubs. You can see which league they come from or which country they come from rather, and then which, you know, kind of league, you know, whether it's league six to eight or nine to 15 or even 16 to 27, which kind of area they come from. Um, you can see where they've won the Champions League or the Europa League or the um, Conference League, I think that is, yeah, UEFA Cup or the Cup Winners' Cup. And obviously, uh, you can see Celtic sitting proudly at the top of that table. Um, I'm afraid to say that might be the only time we see us sitting proudly at the top of that table. But anyway, put that to one side for a moment. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to compare ourselves against these clubs uh, looking at, measures like, um, you know, our brand or our revenue or our player trading, you know, et cetera. Yeah, and Willie, do you, are you in agreement? We're, we're looking at the correct clubs here. Is there any any you think we've missed? No, nah, looking at the list, I mean, I, I had a wee look at their sort of ins and outs, money-wise and transfers and dealings and that. There's clubs there that, that we dwarf. There's clubs in there that dwarf us. So it's all sort of much a really good group that there's people we should aspire to try and get alongside and then there's people who should be looking to pull away from in there. So, 
I'm quite happy yep. with the setup that's here, yeah. Okay, so we'll move on uh, to our next um, slide, which is showing mm-hmm. um, the European coefficient uh, points total um, of the clubs uh, of all the you know all the clubs up to what what numbers that there? What have we got? The top seventy, yeah, or something, <laughs> right? Um, and you know that doesn't make very pleasant reading for us, to be honest with you. Uh, we're sitting there at fifty sixth. Um, and um, our old um, our old pals from across the city um, are up there in thirtieth, um, and pretty much well everybody else on the list that, that we were benchmarking ourselves again uh, is above us. Um, mm. Willie, what's your take on that? Is that a surprise to you, or is that where you thought we would be? Um, as due to our poor performances after Christmas and any sort of knockout stages, it doesn't come as any sort of surprise to me that we're, we're quite low down there. I'm surprised Rangers are as high up as they are, considering their performance last season in the Champions League. It wasn't a, a, um, it wasn't a showstopper by any imagination, but they still seem to have retained their place quite high up the list. So, But I think we are where we are and we know why we're there, so we can't really complain about it. Like. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think Rangers, the, the, it's obviously their coefficient points is, is um, tallied over a number of years. So their their run to the to Europa League final will certainly be included in that. And they did have a, a lot of wins in, in that run. So, um, Steve, any any comments on this? Uh, no, it's. I mean, it's. You know, let's be honest. It's not that comfortable uh, viewing. You know, maybe a couple of quick comments, actually. So you can see the domination of the big five leagues there, right? So, you know, Man City, uh, Bayern Munich, Chelsea, you know, and all the rest of it. You can see, having ruled out all those big five, we've included pretty much every other um, club, you know, down towards that kind of middle, you know, bulk where the clubs are. Um, It is scored over five years, you know, so, yeah, you know, Rangers hit, uh, I think it was the worst ever Champions League performance uh, by any club in the history of the tournament uh, last season, which made me laugh until I saw this league and realised that they're sitting, you know, 26 positions above us. Um, But that's what this is about. You know, this is about, you know, understanding what we can do or, you know, why we are where we are, you know, etc. And, you know, let's be very clear, you know, the number of clubs that, Scotland gets to put into Europe is based on the national ranking. But then when you get into Europe, you know, where you're seated or, you know, which pot you go into is driven by this individual club ranking. So the fact that we are 56th in this league means that we are very firmly a pot 14. I think we would need a, a minor miracle for that to be anything else for this year. And the whole objective really is to understand what we can do to become you know, more solid pop three team or, you know, whatever. And that's really what this conversation's about. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. 
This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Yeah, I think, I think this just nails for me, you know, why it's, it's, it's not only important for Celtic to, to improve their coefficient, it's absolutely vital. Um, it's, it's really quite embarrassing when you see some of the teams that are sitting comfortably above us, you know, teams like A again from Belgium, um, FC Copenhagen from Denmark, you know, teams with a fraction of our resources, as we'll, we'll go on to discuss later, uh, comfortably 10, 15 places above us in, in the UEFA coefficient. And that's that's just simply not good enough. Um, so that, that, that kind of shows you where we've failed over the last um, number of years, decades, actually. So, I mean, it's over a decade since we won a, a knockout tie in European competition uh, and five bonus points if any you can tell me what who we beat in that knockout tie what between Willie and I or yeah <laughs> Barcelona correct For yeah that's what I was going to say too <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I was actually at that game in the new camp so um um, I'm not going to say it was a football classic. <laughs> it was a max to the wall performance, but uh, but it was a lot of years ago. David Marshall um, might beg to differ with you on that, like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure he does. It was his sort of high point of his career, and uh, all went downhill after that. Yeah. Uh, all right, so that's where we are. Um, so let's look at where we have been in the past, and mm-hmm. um, just to show um, what's happened to the club. Uh, and this is like a historical coefficient chart, um, which goes back to the mid '60s. Yeah, I just, the... we just picked that at a random, a random date. You know, just 1966 was the the starting point for that view, just randomly, Steve. So you know. Yeah. Okay. And what's the two lines on the graph, Steve? Just for um. All right. So the um... the the green line is is us. Um, and we'll we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, the orange line is Glasgow Rangers, and you'll see that disappears off the chart right about 2016, and then reemerges as Sevco. Um, so uh, just one for the Celtic guys there. Um, and this is just showing you know where we were as a club. You know, so if you look at that in the 60s. Obviously, we won that bloody thing in 1967. Um, but what a lot of people might not remember, or you know, younger listeners might not, you know, know, was that we were quarter finalist, you know, three times in the ten years after that. We were finalists in 1970, losing out to Finder, and we were semi finalists another twice as well, including once where we lost out on penalties. So, if you look at that period from 66, 67, through to even late, you know, late 70s, 79, 80, you know, the reality is we were one of the top European sides. Well, we were the top European side for one year, but measuring that over the five years used to produce the coefficient, you know, we were one of the top sides. You know, you can see our ranking there, you know, going between two and three and two and three, two, four, you know, et cetera. So all the way up until... 
probably the Billy McNeil era, you know, where he first managed the club. You know, we were one of the top European sides. Yeah, and this um, and it also shows uh, how how far we've dropped, um, Willie. Um, from that point, you know, which was a high point for the club, and it's really been a steady decline since then. Um, it, anything that jumps out at you from that chat? Um, I, from my lifetime, it's sort of Billy McNeil's second spell, and it's just been a steady decline from there on in. You go up to the John Barnes era when it just drops by. 115 and then Martin O'Neill sort of brings a sort of semblance of respectability back to it and then Gordon Stratton carries it on but then it, um, Tony Mowbray yeah it just seems to sort of peel off again towards the end we just sort of seem to be plateauing around that 50 highs of 47 and that so we seem to be settling into that 55 47 45, between 45 and 55 we seem to be settling into that sort yeah. of area plateauing into that yeah I think that 115th uh, there and round about the turn of the century there that must have been a statistical outlier of some kind I can't imagine we were ever that bad oh so look UEFA change how they measure this you know periodically and I think that was just one of their changes you know it is where it is I think everyone's ranking you know, tanked or, you know, moved around a lot. Um, yeah, you know, I, I can't explain it fully, but, you know, certainly, you know, we can't blame all of that on John Barnes. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, but, yeah. Blame I, I think a lot of it on yeah. John Barnes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think... Um, I think it's, it's it's clear what we can see from this. Yeah, so we were a dominant force in Europe in the sixties and, and the, through the seventies, uh, and it's been a steady decline, sort of punctuated with a blip um, during the Martin O'Neill years, which will probably be important. I think when we go to look at you know player trading and you know what we spend on players and salaries and stuff, I think there'll be a, we might see a correlation there. Um, I'll also mention the last of those quarterfinals there in seventy nine eighty was another game I was at. Uh, we played Real Madrid um, and lost to them 3-2 on aggregate and it's just incredible to think you know that was a quarter final of a European Cup um, it, it seems amazing now and it doesn't seem that long ago although it was a long time ago um, also I think we've missed a trick there when um, when Rangers disappear and Sevco reappear from like the grave there we could have had a little zombie um, emoji there, I think. <laughs> I think for the for, for next time, uh, we'll put a little zombie in there, and, um, and that'll be yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so that that's that's that one. Um, so the next thing um, we'll talk about is um, let me just pull the next slide up, and we'll have a look at exactly how big Celtic are. Um, so we all think the Celtic are this massive humongous football juggernaut and it was interesting to note that uh, David Moyes uh, in a press conference down mm. here in Australia the other day there uh, alluded to the fact and the question was um, from some Australian journal how do you think Angie's going to cope with um, with the pressure of being manager of Tottenham Hotspur in the, in the Premier League and uh, David Moyes' retort was when you've been manager of Glasgow Celtic um, who are I think he said third or fourth best supported team in the world um, then you know you can do anything, and you know you know all about pressure anyway. 
Um, now, I think we'll probably go on and show that Davey was a little bit off with his fingers there, uh, but good on him for, for, for fighting the cause and, you know, and for flying the, the flag for Celtic. And um, that was nice to hear. So I'll pull this one up. Um, and this is showing us uh, ground capacities by club. So, Willie, do you want to talk us through this one? Yeah, um, as the capacities go, you can see there, it's like Benfica have a 65,000 capacity stadium, Celtic 61, Ajax is slightly lower than 56. We are one of the, we have one of the biggest stadiums in Europe of our peer group, like, and um, we have one of the highest average attendances too to go with it, like, so we are sort of ahead of this one. I think that's we've we've touched on that before. It's one of the reasons we we get like a, a between five and ten million head start on Rangers every season financially. I mean, because of this capacity advantage of ten k. So, yeah. And Steve, anything jumps out there? No, not really. I mean, it's just kind of interesting, and we'll we'll look at you know how some of those teams at the lower end of that, you know, the the Shakhtar's or or whatever. You know who, you know just just a thirty k capacity kind of ground, you know, and yet they're pro- arguably punching above their weight, you know, when it comes to some of the financial metrics, uh, you know, etc. But yet Willie's bang on, you know, we're, you know, one of the top uh, sides in terms of ground capacity um, you know, across those European peers. I think as it goes yeah. for average attendance, we're just we're neck and neck with Benfica, sort of. It's nip and tuck. And you hear that. I mean, let's be honest. You know, I know it. It's a bit grating at times. You know, hearing these top players coming to Parkhead, and you know, oh, you know, it's a bucket list thing. You know, to play on a European night. You know, and all the rest of it. You know, they treat it like it's some kind of um, you know showground or whatever. You know. And it, it annoys me a little bit, you know. I want it to be a bit more intimidating than that. Um, yeah. But you do hear it, you know. And Celtic on European nights, you know, when you know the lights are gone and the you know the, the anthem's gone, you know. I mean, you know, it's it's one of the top places to play, and that's because we've got that that group of fans behind us. So yeah, yeah, I'm with you, Steve. There, I'm sick of hearing players that want to come mm. and play at Celtic Park and say how great it is and how brilliant it is and. You know, I, I don't think we need any more of that. I think we need to turn it into a place where players are afraid to come uh, because they know the crowd are going to get right on them um, and they know that they've got a little chance of winning, to be honest. Um, I mean, I don't want to go as far as, you know, setting fireworks off outside the team's hotels at night or, you know, greeting them at the airport with welcome to hell signs or anything like that. But mm-hmm. we, 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 I think it's become too comfortable, hasn't it, Willie? It has. I mean, I would like... When I was a season ticket holder, it was during Gordon Strachan's time and and Neil Lennon and like during Gordon Strachan's time, teams were teams didn't want the campus of Celtic Park. I mean, they would you would draw Celtic and they would go, "All oh, right, here we go. We're in for a really really good night, good atmosphere, but we're in for a hell of a game too." And some big teams came and some big teams fell by the wayside: AC Milan, Barcelona, Shakhtar Donetsk, Benfica themselves. Like you know, what I mean, they they just didn't enjoy coming to play at Parkhead because the noise. Man United is the world like we want to get back to that, and yeah. when we go to the new format of the Champions League next season, coming the season after, we're going to need to get that because that that is going to be key to getting into the playoff spots. So mm-hmm. we need to get it back. We need to get that fear factor rather than the wow factor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just yeah, I mean, Milan. 
Um, sorry, I just was thinking of, do you remember the, the goalkeeper? Uh, Did I? I, I, I was there. <laughs> that wasn't you, really, just, was it? No, it wasn't me, no. I was on the other side of the park. He was, was, was running too fast to be, Willie. Oh, definitely. <laughs> like, you know, I'd have fallen over the barrier and got battered by the stupid <laughs> shit away. Like, Staunchy McStaunch laying it into me. Like, oh, no, I'm a damn <laughs> Yeah, I always remember uh, when we played Bayern Munich in the Champions League uh, during the Martin O'Neill either, uh, and they, they they drew nothing each with us, and they were they were done. They done a lap of honour at the end with in front of their fans because they got a draw at Celtic Park. You know, yeah. those those, yeah. They, those years seem like a long time ago. Yeah. Um, and something, yeah, we need to get it back. So we we, we missed we've we've got we've done a little a slide that we've actually missed out here in the presentation, and that was on social media following. Um, mm. So we'll, we'll sort of talk, just talk through this one um, and where we are uh, in relation to that. And, you know, I think this surprised me a little bit. Uh, now, we've got 4 million social media media followers. Uh, the, the, the biggest the biggest amount on, among these clubs that we're looking at were Galatasaray with 40 million. Um, mm. Ajax just below them on 23 million um, range, and ranging all the way down. I think we are sitting something like uh, one, two, three, four, sixth in that list, uh, neck and neck with PSV and Feyenoord, with a million more than the than the, our old friends from across the city. Um, so, what does that tell you, Steve? Do you think that tells you we're not doing social media properly, or um, or do we just well, don't have as many fans as we think? It's probably a bit of both, really. I mean, it's let's be honest, we're in a bit of an echo chamber here, right? So. You know, we talk about, you know, Glasgow Celtic, the only club for me and you, and, you know, and we're all passionate about our club, you know, and we probably are a little bit blinkered, you know, but the reality is there's a lot of clubs out there with some huge followings as well. Now, you can argue the toss about whether, the, you know, being manager of Ajax has the same pressure on it as being manager of Celtic or, you know, whatever it is. But, you know, when you look at that and you see, 25 million followers of Ajax on socials, you know, versus Celtic's 4 million. You know, that's quite a stark difference. You know, Galatasaray got 10 times as many followers as us. And honestly, you know, followers on social media, you know, it's not the be all and end all, you know, and I'm sure there's better ways of, uh, you know, of measuring how big a brand we are, but it's a measure, you know, and the, the reality is, you know, all the, you know, all the Portuguese clubs are pretty much bigger than us, you know, in terms of, you know, what their followers. And and I'm sure there's reasons for that, you know. So the Portuguese link to Brazil and South America, you know, I think they gather a lot of followers through that link. And obviously Galatasaray from Turkey, you know, Turkey's 85 million population, you know, versus Scotland's 5 million. Mm. You know, but ignore all that just for a second. You know, you've got... Galatasaray with 10 times as many followers on socials than Celtic have, you know, so it's just a way of maybe a little bit of a reality check to say, you know, while Celtic is, you know, flowing through our veins and means everything to us, the reality is, you know, when it comes to the world stage, you know, we're, we're I don't think we're as, as dominant a club in terms of brand as we think we are. Yeah, I think that's that. That's a good point about the populations there, because we are we are a smaller country than than most of the other the other countries. They're not all of them, 
by any means, but but certainly most of the other countries. It's interesting that we're still at four million social media followers, even after the we've signed the players from Japan uh, mm. and South Korea. Um, I'm not sure whether you know we got a bump from that, and whether before that we might have been even lower. To be honest, we did. Um, yeah, yeah, we did. So we we're actually one of the top Japanese or European sites followed in Japan. Um, we haven't got a South Korean um, specific socials yet, uh, but I would imagine if these two signings come in, you'd like to think the club would be, you know, thinking that way. But no, we absolutely did get a bump, you know, from that. And obviously, the club are out there right now, um, you know, uh, doing their stuff. So, you know, hopefully, we'll get a, a further bump from that as well. Yeah, hopefully, Wally will be up to forty million by the end of the week. Then, I <laughs> <laughs> well, you never know. There's quite a big yeah. population out there in South Korea that could uh, just start following us. But it's important, though. It, it, it definitely is important in this day and age. You know, even for old guys like us, we can, you know, we can appreciate the importance of social media engagement. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it's something the club. I mean, for what we're I'm sitting, they seem to do it quite well. I think the club's social yeah. media teams do a good job. Uh, yeah. But we all, you know, there is potential for growth there. So that's that's definitely an area which we could grow. Um, without a doubt. So um, we'll move on to the next slide, um, which we have, which is on um, revenue. Um, mm. Let's pull this up just now. And um, Steve, do you want to talk us through this one? Yeah. So, look, just so we're clear, this is measuring uh, the revenue from season 21 22. So, most clubs run uh, the football season as their financial year as well, right? So, you know, <laughs> let's be honest, I think we would all prioritise success on the pitch rather than in the boardroom or on the balance sheet or, you know, however you want to express it. But again, I don't think the two things are competing priorities. At the end of the day, if we're successful and we're bringing in the revenue, you know, our whole purpose as a football club is to put success on the park you know, bringing in the revenue should lead to success on the park. You know, that's that's the argument. All right, so just a quick caveat. There was four or five sides that we just couldn't get the data for for whatever reason. They're either privately owned organisations or they just haven't published the, the figures. But you can see here for season 21-22, which I'd argue was probably a, a middle-of-the-road season for us. So, yes, we qualified for Champions League. Um, actually, hang on, did we? No, I don't think we did, Steve. I think that no. was Angie's first. You're right, season, yeah, so wasn't it? And season one, yeah. Sorry, sorry, Steve. Um, but look, it's probably a middle of the road season. We do expect 22 23 to come in stronger, but you can see here the clubs of the data that we've got available, you know, we're probably just slightly above middle of the pack, yeah. Um, yeah. The, the Rangers revenue there is probably a high point for them. So I think this was when they had their long European run. Um, you know, so this was probably about as high a revenue point as they were going to get. Um, I think the reality is for season 22, 23 with Champions League revenue, you know, we'll probably be about the 110, 115 million. Mm. So what was interesting to me though, sorry, just very quickly is in my mind, I was thinking, yeah, Ajax and, you know, when we started this exercise, I was thinking Ajax and Benfica, they're the European peers. The reality is, you know, they're, they're almost double our revenue. 
you know, so they're they're way ahead of us in terms of revenue generating. And this is before we look at player trading. So player trading doesn't really play into this too much. You know, so the reality is, I don't know whether I was being naive in terms of thinking an Ajax or a Benfica are sensible, you know, points of reference for us. Maybe they're actually disappearing over the horizon the same way as the EPL clubs are, you know, et cetera. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands, all hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, and Willie, we can see in the in the box there, Celtic uh, 51 million euros from matchday revenue, Ajax 34 million matchday revenue, uh, and uh, for commercial, uh, Ajax 81 million euros and Celtic 38 million, and broadcasting 74 million and Celtic 15 million only. So you can see that the big difference there is, is broadcasting and commercial revenue, um, and in particular the TV deal. I think is probably the main driver in that. Um, so obviously we've got a terrible TV deal in, in Scotland um, and that that really does hamper us uh, when we come up, you know, to compare ourselves against a club like Ajax. Um, would you, is that a fair comment, Willie? Oh, absolutely, it's a fair comment. I mean, I've got some of Benfica's figures here in front of me. If you look at their commercial revenue for that year, I mean, Benfica got 31 million and we had the 38 million euros so commercially we're, we're on Porto they were on 43 million euros and Sporting Lisbon also on 31 so commercially we're about the same level as the yeah. Portuguese teams but when it comes into broadcasting they just dwarf us like I mean Benfica's getting clear of 100 and, 103 million more a year for their TV deal than we are it's it's frightening like when I was looking into it like what I found was Benfica, the, the Portuguese league, they get 190 million, I think it's a season, and that's just for Benfica sporting on Porto's away games. The the three big teams there get to sell their home team, their home games for their own separate TV channels. And they all signed big 10, 12-year deals. I think sporting got 446 million euros for a 12-year deal, which covers shirt sponsorship and revenue for all home matches. So we really, really are lagging behind in the commercial, in the, in the broadcasting rights. Mm-hmm. And it, it's so bad that we are actually, we get less money for TV than the EP, the English Football League, Serie B in Italy and Brazil's Second Division League. So mm-hmm. our, our TV deal is just a pittance compared to some of these bigger leagues that we're trying to aspire to be close to. It's, it's, it's kind of interesting though. So if you look at, I think that's fascinating, Willie. Right. So, and but if you look at Ajax, between match day and commercial, they're they're 
what about 111 115 million or whatever it is and celtic are about 90 million right so yeah you know the reality is we're, we're not a million miles off if you can yeah. match day and commercial but the broadcasting yeah. they're more than five times or they're just about five times our deal you know yeah and i know you know we we laugh at well we laugh at the the Scottish setup, and we joke about you know Doncaster and you know all the deals that get done and all the rest of it. But the reality is that's you know that's a big part of that. And there is European broadcasting in there as well, you know. So it does you know performance in Europe does feed into that as well. Um, but the reality is we're we're hamstrung really, you know, if, at the beginning of every every season. Yeah, I think the thing that jumps out for me is this is obviously, uh, as we mentioned, in a non-Champions League qualifying season. Um, now, if, as you mentioned, um, we had qualified for the group stages and what we expect to see this year and probably offer strong player sales as well, I would expect us to be up between 120 and 130 million euros uh, in revenue. Um, I might be a little bit off with that, but plus or minus 5 million or so, uh, but it won't be far away. But that would take us up to fourth out mm. of all those teams. Uh, and it'd be interesting to see, you know, whether Ajax, well, I, I can't remember if that was the season they got to the Champions League semi-final or not, um, or, or how they performed in Europe that year. So Champions League qualification for us, yeah. particularly in light of our pathetic broadcasting deal, is absolutely crucial. Um, mm. And qualifying from the group stages would be, would, would be, you know, it would send us, you know, soaring up that table if we had a, a deep run into the Champions League last stages. Um, so that, that's what kind of that's what kind of jumped out for me. Um, so that's revenue. Uh, now we're not, we're not look at here in the next slide. Mm. What are we paying our players uh, in terms of wages, and how does that compare with other teams in the peer group? Um, so, Willie, do you want to talk us through uh, the two the two graphics we have up here? Yeah, on, on the top there, you can see the sort of wage cost each year. Benfica are spending 113 million euros. Ajax 109, Porto 83. Celtic coming in fourth, spending 70 million euros. Club Bruges just behind us, Sporting Lisbon just behind them, and Rangers just behind that. And then there's a bit of drop off there, 10 million down to PSV, and then you go. Fire Nord, and then it sort of gradually declines as you go down through the peer group. But then you look at the wages turnover, percentage of wages to revenue. Been Sporting Braga are paying eighty three percent of their their revenue on wages, and you look at where Celtic are. We spend sixty seven percent of our our revenue on wages, which is a lot, right? So, um, some of the other teams in there, Rangers are spending sixty three percent. Most of them are soft loans, I think. And then yeah. you go down. Ajax, due to their commercial revenue, you know what I mean? 58% yeah. they're paying less of their turnover. Benfica as well, slightly. Yeah, they're the same as us. Anything you want to add on that, Steve? Uh, look, it's probably the top chart that we should focus on, right? So in absolute terms, Celtic, out of those 20 clubs... You know, and again, the caveat, we couldn't get data for five of the clubs. So out of those 15 clubs, as it were, you know, we're, we're the fourth top paying club in that benchmark. And yet, if you think all the way back to the beginning uh, of the conversation, we are bottom of the coefficient league. So to my mind, 
you know, we're, we're, we've got the capacity to pay. We're probably paying poorly in terms of, you know, we're, we've got an overinflated squad and, you know, whatnot. Um, but the reality is, you know, we've got the capacity to pay. You know, we, you know, we could be paying, you know, if we had the right shape squad or whatever, you know, we could be paying a, a, the same as a Porto or the same as a, a Lisbon or, you know, whatever it is. So I think this is actually one, you know, where we're looking at those European peers and, and thinking, you know, we're, we're in the right mix here. Mm-hmm. In terms of the bottom half, you know, the, the wages to revenue uh, ratio or the percentages, that was probably a middle of the road season for us in terms of revenue, you know, to, to Stephen's point next season or 22, 23. So the next reporting season, the revenue will jump, you know, significantly. And that will mean that revenue percentage will drop as well. So I don't think there's anything to be worried about there in terms of us sitting at 67%. We'll probably see that drop down, you know, quite significantly. Um, you know, so it's, it's, it's not something to worry about. But that is one of the factors that um, UEFA use in terms of some of their financial fair play and the likes, you know, so that's why we've included that there. Yeah, that mid-50 to mid-60 seems to be sort of mean average for the, the peer group, doesn't it? It's way on yeah. 67 and you go down all the way to Sporting Lisbon down there on 55. It's sort of round about the same sort of about 10% there. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, it's it's clear from this that you know we're not getting banged from a for a buck really when you right. consider that we're bottom of all these we're holding up yeah. all these teams in the coefficient chart. Um, we, we should be we should be doing much better. Um, and clearly we're not we're not whatever we're spending on wages we're not spending it wisely. So there, there's definitely room for improvement there. Um, so moving on again, we'll have a look at transfers, uh, how much we're spending, but actually buying players. And first of all, we'll look at the net spend. Um, mm. And um, Steve, do you want to talk us through this one? Uh, look, I don't think we dwell on this one. Uh, you know, this is, you know, just so we're clear, when we talk about net spend, this is effectively showing how much we spent offset by what we brought in. So let's say, you know, and it's measured over the last five seasons. So let's say, you know, last season we spent 20 million, but we brought in 30 million then we've got, you know, effectively 10 million um, net income. Uh, now, that's a particularly bad example because uh, we net spent about 20 million over the five seasons. So what that means is we've, we've sorry, net income. <laughs> uh, what that means is over those last five seasons, we have actually brought in 20 million euros more than we've spent in terms of transfers. So... Look, I, I don't think it's easy to make the comparisons here, you know, because the reality is, as we'll see in a moment, you know, some of those clubs at the top end of that table, they are far outspending us, but they are even more bringing in, um, you know, transfer income, you know, so it's offset, you know, more than offset. So probably not one to dwell on, but just useful just to see, you know, how we compare the the, the bottom end. So technically you know, we're net spending more than most of those clubs that we would consider as European peers. Albeit that when we look at absolute spend, uh, we're not quite, as we'll see at the moment. Okay, so let, let's look at that then. Let's look at actual spend, uh, which is the next graphic we have. Um, so that's showing us, well, it looks like kind of middle of the road there, maybe 
yeah. edging towards the top of, of what we actually spend. Uh, but again, there's an awful lot, for me anyway, there's an awful lot of teams there who spend less than us, who do better than us in Europe. Is that fair to say, Willie? Ah, yeah, it's absolutely fair to say. I mean, when you're spending double the amount of some of these teams, you're expecting to be getting to further than them in Europe. So, yeah, it's kind of disappointing in, in a big way. But when you look at teams, even the Rangers getting to the Europa League final and they've spent kind of half of what we've spent. Red Star, Belgrade as well, Dinamo Zagreb. These teams will get into the Champions League and they'll get to like the latter stages of the Europa League and things like that. Whereas we seem to crumble as soon as we get into our knockout stage. And it is yeah. it is very disappointing to see that because you are a middle of the, the middle of the road team here. So we should be looking at decent results in the knockout stages of at least the Europa League, you know what I mean? To be pushing to the quarters at least on this sort of spending. Yeah, and Steve, do you think this does this show us that we'd need to spend more? Or is it showing us that we need to no. we were just spending in the wrong places or yeah. with the wrong players? <laughs> so we will look in a minute at our spend history um going back more than these five years um oh my god there's some names there that uh <laughs> you know are a bit um yeah a bit I'll, put a health, I'll, put a health, <laughs> I'll put a health warning up before we show that one <laughs> yeah. please call if you're traumatized by this um well look it's probably a combination of things right so Look, for years, you know, it seems to be that we looked a little bit on our doorstep and we were quite happy buying from the English Championship or, you know, whatever it was. And I don't know, that's an overly inflated market, you know, not just in terms of transfer pricing, but also in terms of wages and, and whatnot. Um, I think Ange obviously came in, breath of fresh air, you know, he looked into new markets. And I think it'll be really interesting to see whether um, I think we are seeing that continue beyond the Angie era, you know, um, you know, we hopefully get these two South Korean lads signing, you know, and we seem to be looking into um, markets beyond that. And it just represents better value, you know. So if you chat to Liam, uh, you know, who's on Celtic Down Under, you know, he's quite often chatting about the value and the, the kind of transfer market from a Japanese perspective. You know, and what represents good value. And look, we're not unique in that. I think others are looking in that same um, kind of uh, markets, you know, et cetera. But the reality is, you know, we've spent, what's that, 107 million over five years. We're middle of that pack, you know, and yet we're sitting bottom of that um, coefficient league, you know, with all those teams sitting above us. You know, we have not spent wisely. You know, I don't think anyone could really draw that conclusion. Okay, so we'll move on and uh, we'll drill down into a little bit about what we actually have spent um, on the next slide. Um, and this shows us, um, you know, when our top spending season was uh, and our top uh, spends in that season. Um, that was 2000-2001 when Martin O'Neill was here. Um, we signed Chris Sutton for €9.5 million. Euros. Uh, it was around about six and a half million pounds at the time, and that was our, our transfer record at the time. Interestingly enough, we didn't break that transfer record till 2019 when we signed Odson Edward permanently. Um, 
and I think that was about nine million pounds we paid for him, if I, if I remember correctly. And we haven't we haven't broken it again since. So you know, almost a quarter of a century um, spans you know this graph here, and we've only we haven't broke we've only broken our transfer record once. Um, so yeah, there is a few horrific names in there, um, and you know. So what what does this tell you, Willie? What, what are you taking from this? What what I'm taking from this is um, that we haven't spent wisely at all. You look at like the tail off. Martin O'Neill seemed to get all his money right at the start, and then it was sort of, he didn't get much after that. But then under um, Gordon Strachan and Lenny, I think John Park was a scout there and he did a decent job and you see some decent revenue figures. So we spent a bit of money, but we got some money coming back in as well from player sales, especially when Lennon was there. I mean, you had um, Victor Wanyama sold for 14.5 million, Fraser Foster for 12.5 million euros, Virgil van Dijk, 15.7 million euros. So that player trading model did seem to perk up during John Park's, it's John Park's name was? John Park's yeah, time there. Yeah. But then Brendan Rogers came in, and, and um, when Brendan came in, the spending sort of uh, sort of plateaued. You know, what I mean, there was wasn't so much going out as there was being spent on players coming in. And for me, Lee Congerton just wasn't a good head of recruitment at all. Some of the players, I mean, we went through it a couple of weeks ago. Brendan Rogers signing some of the names on that list were absolutely frightening to think that they actually played in Celtic jersey. Ebu Kasi's there on that list, there, you know what I mean? Charlie Masonda, Martin Bio as well, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. they, 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 that was, I mean, that's that comes down to Lee Conger, and he went out and scouted these guys and said, Yeah, let's get them in the, in the building. And then when Lee Conger left, we got in. Um, I can't remember the guy's name now. Um, taking a wee mental Was blank it? there. Um, oh, yeah, the, boy, the English guy, wasn't it? Yeah. Came from Nick Hammond, Nicky Hammond, wasn't it? Hammond, yeah. yeah, Nick Hammond. That was him. Nick yeah. Hammond. Yeah. And even he he spent a bit of money. We got a bit of money coming back in sales from players. Well, Kieran Tierney went away, but that seven and a half million euros for a homegrown player. Jeremy Frimpong came in and went out quite quickly. But then Nicky Hammond, his legacy as well is like Chris Julian, Albion Ayeti, Basias Barkas. You know what I mean? I just don't think we spent the money wisely. And mm. looking, at, looking at Ange's sort of signings, yeah, two-thirds of them have probably been hits. A third of them have been misses, but you haven't lost a lot of money on the misses. So it seems to be on the, the it seems the, the graph there in the bottom you do see that it seems to be moving on the right way it seems to be on the up again you know what i mean the spending's going up but also what will be coming in from player sales will also go up when you look at what we're taking for jota edward juranovic it seems to be sort of working in the right direction at the moment yeah and steve what do you think we would see if we overlaid the coefficient chart historical chart onto this um, do you think we would see a sort of similar pattern? Uh, oh gosh, I don't know. I'm not so sure. We had, a, you know, we, had, we had a high point uh, during the mm. Martin O'Neill years when we um, when we, oh, yeah, know, civil, we spent yeah. 31 million euros on players and it's kind of tailed off and bounced around at a lower level since then and been on a steady decline. Um, and you're right to say we are starting to pick up now. But we have, we've yet to see that bounce 
uh, with, with the coefficient. But is there anything else jumps out at you, Steve? Yeah, 2004-2005, according to the transfer market, we didn't spend a single dollar, <laughs> a single euro, you know, which is a bit stark. But um, yeah, which is a bit of a caveat, actually. This is data sourced from transfer market. And in fairness, mm-hmm. their transfer stuff is normally fairly accurate. Um, was, that the, was that the Willow Flood window? I'm not sure but look I mean the interesting thing right so we're going back like 20 odd years 25 years you know and the reality is 20 years ago we spent more than we've ever done and you think of the effect of inflation you think of you know um, you know just general inflation but then football inflation you know the reality is in real terms you know we must be spending far less than we were then, you know, mm-hmm. even even a big spending year like 22, 23, you know, bringing in Jota and, and CCV perms uh, on permanent deals, you know, we still spent less in absolute terms than we did in 2000, 2001, and that's before you even think about inflation. So it is crazy. I mean, when you really think about it and you think about the decline in our coefficient, it, it shouldn't be that surprising really. You know, when you look at that and you think, you know, all these other clubs, as we'll see in a couple of slides time, these other clubs are just dwarfing our spin. But we'll, we'll look at that in a moment. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right, Steve. Um, when you look at the list of players that you've highlighted there from 2000-2001, I think the extra interesting point is when those players all left the club, we got next to nothing for them. Yeah. I think you could, you would, you would probably get about less than a million euros between them all um, yeah. when they left, and most of them left for free. Um, and when you extrapolate that to today, we, we are spending much less than we were then. And, and it's clear as day that that was the last time we were really a force in Europe um, to, to any great to any great level, uh, reaching the UEFA Cup final, and that was certainly a high point uh, this mm. century. Anyway, um, I think. Sorry, Stephen. Sorry, to interrupt. But uh, the other thing that jumps out to me, and then in a minute we're going to look at our income. So this is our transfer spend. In a minute we'll look at our transfer income. We clearly did not have a player trading model. I know that's a kind of fancy term and all the rest of it. But we did not have a player trading model probably up until, you know, 2015, 2014, 15 mm-hmm. or whatever it is. You know, we stumbled upon a virtual Van Dyke. We sold him arguably, you know, less than we should have got for him. You know, but the reality is most of the sales that we make, and we'll look at them in a moment, 
were probably at the player's behest. You know, the player wanted away, or the player, you know, like, you know, wanted, you know, to move clubs or whatever it was. You know, it wasn't really us in the driving seat. You know, managing a player trading model. It was more us reacting. And the reality is, and, and again, we'll look at it in a moment. You know, until then, we didn't have a player trading model. I, I don't. I think we'd be kidding ourselves if we, you know, claim that we did. Um, but yeah. Yeah, it's interesting to see the name Mo Bangura there. Um, and Mo Bangura actually entered my thoughts today. I was reading an article, I was reading, it was all over Twitter about this, the, the new guy we're signing from Korea, the, is it Kwon, the, the defensive midfielder? Um, and he's burst through the doors and he's telling everyone he's going to be the best player at Celtic and he's going to move on to the EPL or the Bundesliga. So, you know, fair play to him for confidence. But I seem to remember Mo Bangura saying something very similar uh, when he signed for Celtic, I, I may be mistaken there, but it was certainly somebody like that. I thought you were going to say he was—he was claiming to be, you know, he was going to be the best player at Celtic since Mo Bangura. I was going to say, oh my god, it's <laughs> the other Mo Bangura. <laughs> yeah. Is that not the guy we signed the wrong one? Is that right, Molly? Either <laughs> is strong. The wrong one. Is he not recommended by Henrik Larsson to come out the Swedish was, leagues? Yeah. And then yeah, played against us in a Champions League qualifier on loan from us. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Why, Henrik? Why? Uh, All right. So, so we'll draw a line under that um, to protect the innocent. Um, and we'll move on to what we've actually um, earned from transfers. And we'll hmm. bring up this next graphic um, and look at, you know, and it's clear as day, we haven't actually... Start. We didn't say it, start selling for big money until you know the sort of 2010 uh, onwards. You know, and um, it's been a fairly consistent with a you know with a little blimp in 17, 18, and 18, 19 when we, we probably didn't have much available to, to sell then. Um, so it's clear we have got a player trading model uh, underway just now. Um, so what, what's your take on that, Willie? Yeah, I mean, like I've said earlier, we we do seem to be improving on this player training model side of it. Like the the Brendan Rodgers era, it kind of seemed to get pushed to one side while we try to persevere, winning the, the pushing towards ten, but it quickly fell by the wayside, and the the pound sign started rolling in again, and Peter Lowell just start getting greedy and start selling players. So, um. Yeah, I, we really need to have a more aggressive sort of approach to this player trading because you can see see the benefits of it. The, the, the more you speculate, the more you accumulate as you go in this market. So for me, yeah, we need to be more aggressive on it because you can see the rewards. The more you you, you take in, the more you sell, and the better the better the better the name you get for yourself as you're selling. You know what I mean? Players will come back, teams will come back to you for another player, knowing that the player that they bought or mm. they've seen players in their league that have come from your team doing well, they'll come to you and buy players off you. Like so, the more aggressive you are, the better it is in the long run. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Steve, the the one year that stands mm-hmm. out above all others it is twenty one twenty two. When we sold uh, Chris Iyer and Odson Edward for a combined total of thirty-eight million euros, um, and that's significant because that was the first time when we signed Odson Edward for nine million uh, euros um, or pounds. Sorry, um, that was the time when we did break our transfer record, and we were able to flip him uh, for a significant profit. Do you think that's? Do you think that's significant? Yeah, 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, to Willie's point, the whole point of having a player trading model is to generate funds so that we can invest to put better talent on the pitch. You know, that's that's the whole point of it. It's not, you know, you don't play a trade for player trade's sake. You know, you, you need to have a purpose for it. Um, but yeah, I mean, Odson Edward, you know, we spent big on Odson. You know, I, I think it was, what was it in the end? Was it, I know obviously we had him on loan initially and I think, what did we spend? Was it nine million? I think it was nine million pounds. Yeah, I think it was. I think that was a lot. The, the fee was agreed before uh, yeah. with PSG, yeah. and um, yeah, we ended up paying it. And the interesting thing about Odson Edward is we kept him a season too long, um, yeah. and I think he's. I think everybody's in agreement on that. And I think if we'd sold him twelve months previously, when we should have, we'd, mm. we'd have got more money for him. I think that's that's pretty much guaranteed. But it's got echoes of the the Jota deal as well in terms of, you know, player and a B side or you know, whatever it was. You know, they they clearly saw him as a talented player, but didn't fit into their plans for the the first side, or they were putting him out on loan to prove himself or whatever. You know, and we sounds bad, but we flipped him. You know, we gave him a stage. You know, we we showcased his talents, and then we we flipped him for you know a significant profit. And, you know, so for Edward, you know, we probably ended up clearing, you know, the best part of seven or eight million euros, you know, for Jota, obviously, you know, even more than that, you know, so it is a model that, that can work. But again, I don't want to make it sound like that's the whole reason for being, you know, you only do that to develop, you know, to get funds so that you can develop more players or buy more players to put talent on the pitch. That's the whole reason for doing it, you know. But the other thing... The other thing my eyes drawn to is the last three years of Martin O'Neill's tenure, mm, you know, yeah. where we literally have people got no no income whatsoever, you know, which is my eyes, my eyes were drawn to that as well, Steve. And can I ask you who is Brian Prunty? Well, <laughs> so just to be clear, <laughs> yeah, he's a made up person. No, he's not really. Um, so... No, he he came at the youth development. He was a youth player with Celtic, right? Right, so so just to be clear, what we've done is list the top two purchases or the top two sales for each of the years. So you know, yeah. you're saying, oh, you know, we got thirty-eight million, you know, for Odson and and Chris Iyer. Well, actually, that also includes uh, Ryan Christie as well and whoever else yeah. we saw. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So you know, just just to uh, just to be clear, but two thousand. <laughs> 2004 Brian Prunty yeah there you go he went to Aberdeen for a free transfer literally according to transfer market you know we did not get bring in a single dollar uh Mm -hmm. or single euro rather uh that that season which is you know bizarre in itself but then for it to be one of three years in a row you know where we didn't (laughs) you know I'm surprised we didn't get in for Rafael uh, Raphael Scheidt or uh, for Jonathan Gould, but yeah, mm. it's, uh, pretty lean times to be honest, you know. And you know, I know we can say, oh, we weren't running a player trading model and all the rest of it, but that does look like really poor management, just generally, you know, in mm. terms of managing your assets and you know, trying to you know bring in income for the club. You know, looks looks a bit embarrassing though, you know. 
Yeah, it certainly does. Um, you know, the last the last uh, five years on there, I've sort of rescued the whole chart, to be honest with you, and we actually seem to be, you know, heading in the right direction finally. But let's have a look at um, the next slide, which is what we, um, how this looks compared to um, some of our European peers, mm. um, which we have here, Ajax, Benfica, on the same sort of chart as, as, as Celtic. And, and clearly, you know, bad, bad a few outliers there. We can see that both the teams um, are spending um, significantly more than us. Um, is that fair to say, Steve? Yeah. So, look, I think this was meant to be a bit of a, oh, look, in 2000, 2001, we were the top spending between those other two, you know. And again, Honestly, I came into this exercise thinking they were our natural benchmarks. I'm not sure they are, you know, because if you look at the right-hand side of the chart, you know, they're out, outspending us by three or four times, you know. So the reality is, and this is before you think about, you know, their homegrown talent that they're, you know, selling, which I'm guessing is funding some of this, you know, et cetera. You know, but the reality is, you know, they've, they've just gone on to another level, you know, compared to us. And probably the inflection point is right about that 2007-2008 kind of period, you know, where you start to see Benfica, you know, spending pretty much what we spent, you know, last year as a huge spending year for us, you know, 30-odd million, you know, and they just go on from there. You know, they pretty much consistently, you know, lift from there. And Ajax the same, you know, so probably not want to dwell on, you know, but the reality is, you know, it's been a long time since since they were sensible peers for us in terms of transfer spend. You know, it's been probably 20-odd years, you know, since we could sensibly say that. And, Willie, what's your, what's your take on the, on these figures? Yeah, they're, they're, I mean, they're, they're dwarfing us big time. They, that just goes to show, like, Benfica have a really aggressive um, player trading model. Last season, their biggest buy was um, in 22-23, it was Enzo Fernandez from River Plate for 44.25 million euros. And their highest sale that season was um, Enzo Fernandez to Chelsea in January for 121 million euros. So they're not frightened to flip a player. And the other thing, uh, like the youth development at Benfica is phenomenal. I mean, they've made around half a billion, over half a billion euros in a decade selling homegrown players. Wow, Felix, wow, Felix went to Atletico for 127 million euros. You've got Ruben Diaz went to Man City, 71.6 million euros. Um, Ederson to Man City, 40 million. You know, it, it just goes to show you, if you have a really good youth development system in place, there is a lot of money to be plundered there too. Like, I think half a billion, that's 556.6 million they've made in 10 years. Like Somebody needs to get Peter Law a plane ticket to Portugal and have a look at this setup because that's the sort of thing he dreams of. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. All right, yes. so we'll move, we'll move on to our final slide, um, which is kind of like a sort of consolidated scorecard uh, for all this stuff um, and, and see where we are. Um, I think we can see um, that we're right at the bottom of the most important one, which is the European coefficient, which basically measures how you're performing on the field. Uh, but we sit either slightly above middle or, or near enough the top in, in all the other metrics. 
Um, so that that tells its own story, really, uh, and it's a story of of underperformance uh, in Europe. Um, so what what's a final sort of summary of all this? What can we take take away, and what do we need to improve on? I'll go to you first, Steve. Yeah, it's a bit sobering, isn't it? <laughs> uh, I mean, look, for me, it it probably it probably shows what we've all kind of intuitively felt for some time, which is, you know, these are sensible peers of ours. We should be performing as well as a Copenhagen or a Young Boys or Sport in Lisbon, you know, and even if even if this has been a bit of an eye-opener for me personally in terms of Ajax and Benfica, maybe they're not sensible benchmarks for us. Fine, you know, move on. You know, but the others, yeah, they're all sensible benchmarks. But then you look at this and and everything, if you hit that last column, the coefficient, you'd look at that and you'd go, okay, yeah, so we're, you know, top third for brand and we're top or thereabouts for ground and, you know, top third for revenue and wages. And, you know, you go, yeah, 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 great, great, great. And then we are absolute bottom for coefficient so that to me just says you know you know frankly mismanagement um you know very very poor performance you know the the tools have been there you know the revenue has been there we have paid the wages the supporters have done their stuff by turning up and buying the kits no matter how ridiculous some of them are you know we've actually spent reasonable transfer sums you know, but it's just not happened on the pitch. So when we hear Brendan coming in and Brendan talking about, right, okay, you know, now is the time to redress some of that or to lift European performance, uh, that to me gives me a bit of hope, you know, because I I think there's a realisation there that, you know, we we have underperformed, you know, frankly, woefully underperformed, you know, and and we need to to lift it, you know, would be the the stark... um, you know, start realization, and I mean, I'm sorry, without being all doom and gloom, I think I think there are positive signs there. You know, we we have traded well uh, over the last few years. You know, like selling Juranovic and Gigi. You know, mid mid season, to me, I, I know in a funny sort of way, you know, but that to me is a positive thing. You know, that says right, fine. You know, the right time to sell these assets is now. You know, and we invested that money really well. You know, look at Alistair Johnson. I think, you know, frankly, that was an upgrade. Uh, you know, so we can do it. You know, I just hope that we continue on that um, kind of trajectory under Brendan, you know, and we don't revert back to, uh, you know, the let's shop in the, uh, the English Championship. You know, let's limit our horizons to that. Hopefully we're, we continue on the trajectory we're on. Yeah, and uh, Willie, what do you think's been, in your opinion, has been behind our failings uh, in the champ? I mean, I know it's a it's a very complex question, but if you pick the sort of biggest one, where do you think we failed over the over the past years um, in improving our results in Europe? Uh, was there any one particular to blame, or was it just a, a sort of club thing in general? Sorry, I've got a wee cart there right behind me. I think, uh, I don't know if you can hear it there in the mic or not. For me, I think um, scouting and player development is where we're failing. We're we're failing our peer groups big time. You look at Braga last season, SC Braga, they're the 
they, they, they regularly compete with Sporting Lisbon for best of the rest in Portugal, and they made like 50, 60 million from selling youth developed players. For me, that's that's one key area where other teams are outstripping us money-wise coming in. Celtic have only sold three players over the past decade for car sales that have been disclosed. I mean, you might have had Dylan McGeoch and that have gone for 50, 60,000 to Hibs or whatever, but Kieran Tierney, Tony Watt and Liam Henderson are the only players that's come out of the youth development scheme that we've made any sort of money on. Wow. That, that for me is alarming, like, you know what I mean? Because we do, we do sort of put an emphasis on youth how we would like to develop them we're trying to get the B team up and running trying to get them sort of going but I I think for the first team it would be scouting as I said earlier on Nicky Harmon and Lee Congerton didn't do a very good job they brought in some amount of dross and well we've started to see under Mark Law an improvement and hopefully that improvement will continue because it will lead to better results on the pitch so yeah Steve um one area, apart from the coefficient where we are lacking a little bit behind um, behind some of the other clubs, is transfer spend. So this is sort of like a hot topic for today. Um, and a lot of people have been alarmed at the moment that we haven't mm-hmm. spent that much money yet in the transfer window. Um, there was a lot of rumours going around, and it was just conjecture, really, that we were going to break our transfer record um, several times during this window. Hasn't happened yet. Might still happen. Uh, but do you think it's important for us to be spending more money on players to get us up that chart a little bit, to get maybe closer to Benfica and Ajax, even though we, you know, we're not in a, a position now to get up to their levels no. of what they're spending and receiving? Uh, is it something we should be moving towards? So, look, I, I'm kind of more in the spend it wisely kind of camp, you know, so you know, there's a lot of risk involved in running out and spending, you know, 15 million euros on, you know, a striker. Uh, I saw a thread on Twitter the other day, and apologies, I can't recall who it was. Uh, I can't recall who it was. And they were saying, oh, you know, look at the top spend for this age group, you know, in basically in what we would call addressable targets, you know, so they're not going to the big five, they're going in that, six to eight or nine to 15, you know, kind of leak space or whatever. And then basically it whittled down and there was like three players that we could have bought for similar funds, you know, last year, whatever. And like one of them did their crucial ligament in day one of the season. One, you know, is just shockingly underperformed and one of them hardly played a game, you know. And and frankly for us, you know, if we ran out and spent that money and, you know, had those results, that would be, you know, that'd be shattering. So to me, I think the approach in the last couple of years has been really smart. You know, like um, try before you buy. You know, you bring in a Jota and a, and a Carter Vickers and, and they excel, you know, then fine. You know, push the ball out and, you know, spend the money on the transfer and also on the wages, you know. Or, you know, you go to Japan and you bring in, you know, some, some real talent there but you're not spending crazy money. You know, you're not spending, you know, the 15, 20 million uh, euros, which is a lot of money for us, you know, let's be clear. You know, so if it doesn't quite, you know, work, you know, then, you know, it's it's not a, a drama, you know. So, you know, Idiguchi, you know, it hasn't quite worked for him. Fine. It's not, you know, season defining in terms of, of the finances or, or whatever, you know. Um, 
you know, but for every Iriguchi, you know, under the last couple of seasons, you know, we, we had two or three Kyogos or Hitates or, you know, Dysons or, or whatever, you know. So to my mind, I think our approach has been good. I'd rather we continued along those lines. I mean, fine, you know, maybe we should be shopping in the, you know, five to eight million euros kind of market rather than the three to four million euros market, you know, but I'd rather do that and send, spend wisely rather than, you know, just spend for the sake of it. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, for me, um, I would probably take a little bit of a different point of view there. Um, if you look at our performance last year in the Champions League, um, we did okay up to a point. Um, I think the systems were good. I think the tactics were okay. I think we just ran out of talent at sort of key points in certain games. We just needed a little bit better players. Um, now, I don't believe... All the guys we've signed so far this summer, I think they all fit the bill in terms of what we're trying to do with a player trading model. They're all at the right age. They're all at the right value. Resale values there, etc. I really don't think they're going to give us that extra bit of quality we need to turn like a draw into a win or a you know or a defeat into a draw and and get points from there. And I was listening to the the, the huddle breakdown breakdown uh, this week, and he made they made exactly the same point that if you want better players in general, you have to pay more money. Um, now it's not an exact science, and it doesn't work all the time. You know, but for every you know for every Albin Ajeti who you pay big money for and is a flop, there's an odd Saint Edward who you pay big money for and he's a massive success, almost you know a real hero at the club and moves on for big money. Um, so, what's your take on that, Willie? I agree with you. Like, um, I think the scouting again. We go back to the scouting. Like Albion Ayeti and players like that weren't scouted properly. Like, you know, I mean, Albion Ayeti was a West Ham reserve striker, wasn't getting a game for them, and we still paid five million for him. Why? Because he's a Premier League reserve striker. Mm-hmm. Let's give five million for that. No, no, thank you. If you're going to spend money, like, I mean, last season we spent seven million on Carter Vickers, we spent seven million on um, Jota. It's that's the kind of spending we're going to look to. And, and and as the player trading model goes and you're more successful at that, you, you just make incremental increases. Like this season coming, we might buy two players at 10 million and a couple more at two or three million to come in and bolster the squad as we have done. Like, you know what I mean? For me, I've said a few times, a goalkeeper would make a big difference. You know what I mean? If we could go out and spend 10 million on 
the guy, the, the Croatian international keeper. I think he went to Fenerbahce in the end. Like, but that's the sort of moves you should be looking at, right? You say, right, let's get the core of the team. Let's spend big on the core of the team, and then see what we can do around that. Like, so if you go for the Fab, is it Fabian Ryder, the boy? I've seen some YouTube videos, and he looks a tasty player. If he's going to cost us fifteen million, you're going to push the boat out from. He really does fit the player trading model. He's young. He will have a big sell on. As long as it fits into place with that, there could be little risk with it. You know what I mean? Because the English teams do look at us now and say, right, okay, sell like. Players are pretty good. We, we we will quite happily buy from Celtic because their players come down here and they do generally do not too bad. But they'll go to other countries as well and go and do not too bad as well. So we have a good name for ourselves when it comes to selling them on. So if you want to start putting like I say that in, incremental increase onto each season, like this last season's big spends was seven. This season could be like ten, fifteen, and that could sit for a couple of seasons and then you move on to the next level. So yeah, just incremental increases. So. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's pretty much where, they are, where I am. Um, I think, uh, in my view, it's wrong that we've we've only broken our transfer uh, spend record once in in quarter of a century. I think we should be doing it every couple of years. We, yeah. uh, if not if not every year, we should be spending a little bit more. Uh, when you consider, um, I was reading today that when when Henrik, Henrik Larsson signed his new deal uh, with Celtic back in two thousand and one, it was on forty grand a week. Um, and if you fast forward, you know, 23 years later, our top earners, I think, I don't yeah. know what McGregor's on now and with his new contract, but he wasn't earning that before. Um, so where wages have gone nowhere, uh, they've kind of plateaued. We've, we've seen from the graphics that we showed, we, we were not spending much uh, as much as we, you know, we have at certain times. We're not spending as much as the teams at the top of our peer group and we're not bringing in as much uh, as teams at the top of our peer group. So I think that's where we're failing. Uh, and I think for the past five, six years, may- maybe even longer, and a lot, I think the finger, you know, I don't want to get down to personalities here, but a lot of the fingers need to be pointed at Peter Lowell here. Um, and that we had a great opportunity when Rangers were liquidated um, to have a free crack at the Champions League. Um, and I think the, 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 there was an argument there that that was a time when we should have been you know, implementing a proper player trading model. And we probably did it five or six years too late and we're playing catch up then. Uh, And a lot of the nervousness around what we're spending this summer is probably based on the fact that Peter Lowell's back in the building. Uh, People may be thinking, you know, know, we're getting back into old habits. Um, Have you got any fears on that, Steve? Or are you quite comfortable? No, no. I mean, it kind of, for me, it, it goes back to that, Am I happy to be three points better than you know the Huns across the city? And you know that's fine for me. You know, therefore I'm going to be domestically successful, and you know I'll, I'll get a crack at Europe. And you know, albeit I might be half baked in that crack at Europe or whatever. If you know, do you know what? If if that's what you're happy with, you know, then you're always going to be that. You know, you're always going to be looking at this season and thinking, well, actually, we've got a really successful squad you know, from last season. We've only really lost Jota and Aaron Moy in terms of the talent. You know, so, you know, well, will we get away with Tilio as being a re- replacement or, you know, whatever, you know, which is a bit of a nonsense. Whereas, you know, if you take the other view and say, actually, let's measure ourselves against European talent, let's not look down on them. 
you know, let's look up at an Ajax and a Benfica and and aspire to that. And, you know, if you're going to do that, then you are going to stretch the model, you know, each year, or you're going to stretch it and say, okay, well, actually, you know, here's talent that we can sensibly bring in, you know, to Willie's point and fine. In two years time, you know, because a lot of these players are not going to stay much longer than that. You know, we can sell it, you know, the individual at a profit, happy days, you know, but you're right, Stephen, you know, let's be honest, you know, we saw behaviours, you know, during, um, you know, them going bust, you know, we, we should have, you know, we should have been absolutely stretched out of sight, you know, at that point, you know, we could have done some really, really smart stuff. And, and frankly, we didn't, you know, and, and there are worries, you know, that some of those characters are, you know, kicking around again, but, you know, hopefully, you know, we've got stronger governance. You know, I think um, Nicholson is CEO. You know, he goes about his job pretty quietly, but pretty effectively. Um, you know, I think Mark Lowell appears to be a smart operator. You know, uh, I think Brendan won't suffer it. You know, mm-hmm. so hopefully there's enough governance and, and structure in place that mean, you know, we're not going to revert to, you know, some of those poor habits. Yeah, so we'll probably start to wind things up a little bit here. Um, I w- I'll just ask you this one, Wally. What are you hoping to see from the rest of the transfer window? Given that, you know, we'll, we'll take it as, as the two Korean lads have been done, um, and that's that's saying, and that means that brings a total of four players that we brought in, which is reasonably consistent with where we were at this time last year. Um, so, what are you hoping to see from from the you know the final couple of months of the transfer window? Um. I think we will break our transfer record this season and I, I think a centre midfielder will come in uh, I think a goalkeeper will come in I think probably another wide man and a second striker to feed off um, Kyogo will come in I'm not I'm not pushing the panic button yet like some people are I mean we don't start our Champions League campaign until September there's no need there's no like seasons gone by when we're going into qualifiers like oh we need to get these players in now we need to get them in now we have time on our hands. We can sit and wait and get the right guys in. But I think, I think the the, the big spending will come. I'm quite confident it will happen. I'm not like I say. There's people on socials at the moment are getting a bit antsy because Rangers seem to have done all their business already and we haven't. Right? So I'm quite confident that this is that we will get it right and that the right players will be coming in at some point or another between now and the first game of the Champions League. Yeah, look, I think it's worth pointing out that the Huns have got this the Champions League qualification lottery to go through. Yeah. Uh, we've got the we've got the luxury of not having that. Yeah. Um, so you know, a lot of the and you know, for all the bluster that's coming out of there at the moment and the fans, you know, the they're, they're miles ahead in the postseason cup as usual. Um, yeah. Or the the Hundes Liga as it's as it's become <laughs> um, so, um, Well. Um, um, I'm, I'm, sure, I'm not really too worried about any of the guys that they've nah. signed. Um, nah. So, Steve, I'll put that one to you as well. What, what are you hoping to see for the for the rest of the the, the transfer window? Yeah, I, I'm kind of with Willie. I mean, you know, we've spoken before about um, Joe Hart, and yes, he's great around the dressing room, and you know, he's an experienced voice and all the rest of it. But the reality is, you know, he saves. A lot of the stuff you'd expect him to say, but you know, it just doesn't seem to be turning games, you know, for us at the minute. You know, he's not like your example, you know, pulling a draw from 
you know, what looked like a defeat or a victory from a draw. So to my mind, you know, I think that would be a good investment. And mm. with Willie, I was a bit disappointed to see that fella, was it Dinamo Zagreb he was at? Yeah. Croatian fella. I mean, he, he looked really uh, good, you know, from a quick glance. You know, but again, you know, you're kind of hoping, right, okay, you know, if the club's, and obviously it's just rumour and innuendo, but if the club was linked with him, then the way we run the club now, you know, it's not going to be a case of, oh, we need a goalkeeper, there's a list of one. You know, the way we run the club now, you know, you're confident that, you know, the scouting department, you know, come up with lists of four or five, you know, and if it's not, you know, the first guy on the, the list, you know, then, you know, we've got two, three and four you know, to be, um, you know, to be explored further. Mm. But to me, that would be, make a big difference, really would, you know, make a make a big difference. I mean, not domestically, you know, let's be clear. You know, it's maybe, you know, you know, minor, minor swing item. But in terms of Europe, you know, finishing between a pot four team and a pot three team, you know, we saw what a good goalkeeper did for Club Bruges um, mm. last season. You know, it... it, yeah. it Frankly, it can make a huge difference. So that's that's probably, in a funny sort of way, my priority. I actually, I think all is going to come to the fore in terms of striker. He's a very different player from Kyoto, um, you know. And it was great to see the club spend money on extending contracts for, you know, some of those key players. Uh, you know, which is a really good, sensible way of spending money. Um, but I actually I'm less less kind of focusing there. I actually think the other big difference that would make would be a really strong defensive midfielder, you know, because uh, I think far too often, you know, our defense was exposed, you know, um, by the lack of support from midfield back into defense, you know, in, in Europe, you know. And if you're playing sides like Real Madrid that can break at that pace, or even Shakhtar, you know, we saw it with Mudrik, you know. The reality is, you know, you're horribly exposed if if you're not got, um, you know, the midfield, you know, support and the defence. So I'd like to see that, and I think we do need to think about a replacement, you know, for for Jota. Um, you know, my gut feel says I think we're probably got another two or three to go out the door. I think Abada might well be away, you know, so. Uh, I don't know about Marco Tilio. I'd love to see him succeed. Obviously, you know, coming from uh, you know Australia, but you know, I think he's he's you know got a bit of development to do before he's you know sensibly in that space. You know, hopefully, be surprised and and you know he'll perform better. Um, but yeah, I, I would have thought we'd be looking you know for you know a strong you know first team straight in you know um, winger you know. Um, you know, coming in as well. So, yeah, get the checkbook out and, uh, you know, smash that cast that we've just been looking at, <laughs> you know. Yeah, like, I think it's fair to say that, um, you know, we're over in Japan just now. We've got a couple of proper games over there. The, the games in Portugal are essentially bounce games. Uh, we've got a couple of proper friendlies lined up there. Uh, and then we've got one in Dublin uh, against Wolves in a couple of weeks' time. And I'm expecting once we see the game's been played that we might see some more transfer action. I think Brendan's probably running his eye over the squad mm-hmm. just now. 
uh, with a view to seeing who he wants and who he doesn't want. And I agree with what both of you are saying there. I think a new goalkeeper is, is pretty should be pretty high on the list. Um, and, and yeah, it was disappointing to see Lovakovic uh, being, you know, well, Fabrizio Romano reporting that he was signing with Fenerbahce, which generally means that it's done. Although it hasn't been confirmed yet, mm-hmm. um, that yeah. one. So, the, you know, where there's, where there's life, there's hope there. And that, that's definitely the type of signing that we should be in a position to make, um, even though we'd have to break our transfer record for a goalkeeper. Um, that's the sort of thing I think we should be prepared to do. Uh, yeah. And that could, you know, propel us up the coefficient table uh, quite significantly if it, if it came off. Yeah, I mean, you, you look at when we had Craig Gordon in goals and Fraser Foster came in, Lennon came in and signed Fraser Foster. People were kind of like, a few eyebrows were raised. What are you bringing Fraser Foster in when we have a decent keeper in Craig Gordon? And then mm-hmm. after half a dozen games, they go, uh, I, okay, I, I see what that was all about. Yeah, big difference. Yeah. And the, the other thing I'll just sort of touch on quickly is with Brendan Rodgers, he's only been there two or three weeks now. You know what I mean? He he still has to run the rule over all his transfer targets. There'd been a, there would have been a shift towards what Andrew's planning and what Brendan Rodgers is going to plan. Mm-hmm. So it's probably another reason why the, the big signings haven't come. If Andrew stayed for another season, the big signings would probably be in the door already and out on the training mm-hmm. pitch with us. It's yeah. probably another reason yeah. why there's a slight delay in all this. Like, so. Yeah, and I think it's explainable, Willie, but let's be honest, you know, I love the fact that, you know, we, we were doing our January signings in December, you know, it was yeah. still completely yeah. unlike us as a club. And I love yeah. the fact that, you know, we gave the players time to, you know, settle in and whatever. And I get it, you know, I, it, you know, it's, it's a very valid point you make, which is Ange has to assess the squad, the squad, you know, that's the right thing to do. And, you know, it is destructive, obviously, changing the manager. But, you know, let's be honest, you know, Brendan Rodgers not going out and sign Marco Tilio, these two Korean boys, you know, or, you know, home or whatever. You know, they're all been signings that are in the the pipeline. I'm guessing he's allowed them to proceed because they're fairly limited spend items, you know, maybe mm. 10 million between the lot of them, you know. Yeah. You know, but like you say, the bigger ticket players, you know, he's probably said actually, you know, Hold fire! I, I want to check what I've got and how I want to use yeah. the team, you know, before I hit the trigger on, you know, some of those. So, yeah, good point. Yeah. All right, guys, I'll probably wind it up there. Uh, I might just grab a final thought from you, Willie, before we go. What you got? What you got planned for the rest of the week and the rest of the closed season? Well, the, my final thought is hurry up new season and start because I'm getting bored with this now. But I want my three in the morning wake up call to get up and watch a game of football and missing this. Like, so, uh. Yourself, Steve, any, any plans coming up? Uh, well, we've got the Women's World Cup, which I'm quite looking forward to that. Um, and actually, European campaign actually starts um, over the next few weeks. We've actually got some draws that Obviously, don't involve us because we are, um, you know, quali- automatically qualified for the group stage. But they're relevant to the other Scottish sides, and you know, when we look at the Scottish coefficient, you know, and, and where we are in, in, you know, the League of Nations table or whatever, you know, we do need to see some of them pull their weight. You know, um, I hate to say it, but you know, Rangers actually have helped that coefficient <laughs> quite significantly over the last. You know, a few years, which makes it even funnier, the fact that we automatically qualify for the group stage. I love it. 
I've um, never heard them mention it once, though, you know. No, it's weird, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it'll be interesting to see how, you know, Hearts and Hibs and, and Aberdeen, how their draws go and, you know, and whatnot. And those draws are starting to happen over the next couple of weeks. So, yeah, should be uh, one to watch as well. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the to the Women's World Cup as well. I've got myself some tickets for a, a couple of games at the sort of latter end of the, of the competition, including the the final. Got a couple of tickets for myself and my daughter for the World Cup final. So I'm looking forward to that. Um also um I heard on the Axel pod um on Friday there, Jim Orr was mentioning that it's eight weeks till the first derby match at Ibrooks. So that's uh, maybe I, I, I'm all sober and thought in terms of where we are with transfers, but yeah, the, the new season will be will be just round the corner and um, and bring it on. Is what I say. Um, so with that, uh, I wind the show up and thanks very much, guys. That was great fun, and uh, we'll see you all again in a few weeks when the Tuesday crew is back in our regular live spot. All right, so have a good week and hail, 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 hail. Cheers. Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.